night. They're going to have victory in Jericho. And then they have this amazing victory. And then right after the victory in, um, in chapter 7, they, they send just a couple thousand men into a little town called Ai or Ai. And, and, and 36 men die and they're, and they're running from the, the soldiers of Ai. And, and it says that Joshua rent his clothes and, and he was basically at a point where he was, he was discouraged. He was ready to quit. He didn't get it. Well, what's crazy about the, the position that Joshua was in at that, po- at that moment was the guy just came off some amazing, amazing victories in his life. And you'd think that if, if God showed up in your life, in my life, and just did amazing victories, that when we face something difficult, those victories would have prepared us to go through the difficulty. But even somebody like Joshua... He's, he's crying like a baby. He's one knee smoting the other. He's freaking out. God, what's going on? Why? And you know, what's happening? And why did we leave the will? And he, and he sounds like 20 years back from his life where he was to the point where he's this mighty man of valor. And part of that is that we just go through in life, and I don't care who you are. What's cool is we, we could do the study, but they, every major Bible character has some point of struggle and a point where they want to quit in ministry and in their lives. Paul said, Paul said, we despaired even of life. Elijah said, Lord, it's enough. Take my life. Jonah was ready to die and on and on and on and on. You know, Lydia and I in ministry, we, we go through these times of, of discouragement. And, you know, I think it was just this week, Lydia was going through something tough and just kind of finding a hard time, finding joy. And, you know, just being honest with me, she texted me and told me that, you know, she was, she was just having a hard time finding joy with some things we're going through. And, you know, and it's always, it's always hard for me to see her that way because she's, she's such a rock in our family and she's such a glue that holds us together. And she's such a strong woman and she, she is, you know, you know, just so solid that when, when she's kind of having a hard time battling it and, and battling and feels like she's losing the battle that, that it's discouraging. And so being the, the encourager that I was, I, I sent her a text back that said, well, I think we're, we're about a hundred thousand good on that house we bought in Tooele. We could sell that we could liquidate, we could probably downsize and live in like, I don't know, like somewhere in the middle of Montana in a little house and just get regular jobs at like Circle K and just <laughs> not, you know, we could probably make it, you know, and, and, and there was a thought. All right, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Joshua chapter six. Now we didn't, um, to be fair to everybody, we didn't actually go through um, chapter five, verse by verse last week, we kind of more just talked about uh, the meaning of chapter five and concept that last week. So I'm actually going to pick up like in the end of five. Let's start, like I said, where we left off. And, and for some of you that were here last week, you would remember that the, the nation of Israel, the children of Israel have just crossed over the Jordan, signifying that in the life of the believer, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so they enter into this spirit-filled life in the parallels that, that the nation of Israel, the children of Israel are to your life and to my life on this side of the cross. Right now, we're in a process that's called sanctification. And sanctification 
sanctification is the, um, in a nutshell, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's the process by which we, we grow in Jesus, that we become more Christ-like, that we, we, we go from the point where we became born again on our, on our spiritual birthday until the time where we, we reach maturity or the time when we meet Jesus. And so we're, we're constantly um, walking through sanctification. And, and, and th- this is all a picture, a parallel of this life on this side of the cross. So they cross over the Jordan. They um, are getting ready to where they crossed was near Jericho. And Jericho was a formidable city. It was a walled city. But the Bible says that 40,000 of them crossed ready for battle because they knew that it was going to be a fight. And so the picture is for you and I that once we 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 enter that third experience of the Holy Spirit being filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit and that dunamis power that the Bible talks about in Acts chapter two comes upon you and flows through you. And you've not quite arrived. I mean, Paul tells us right in the Philippians that even late in his life, he'd not yet arrived, that he still had some room to grow in Jesus and some time to go, but, but that we don't live under the, 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 the grandeur that life, uh, that Christian life is without battles, that it's without struggles. Because the point is, is that this life that, that the, the nation of Israel was getting ready to embark in was nothing but battles, physical battles for us, nothing but spiritual battles. And, and, and the closer you get to God's will, I, I think the more dangerous your life becomes in, in the, the, the battles that take place in your life. But no better place to be than, than in the center of God's will. And no, nobody is. And I think I kind of asked Lydia to come up and share with us because I, I, I don't know if you do or not. But I, I think it's possible that people could get the impression that, you know, in ministry we don't, as a pastor, pastor's wife. And, and you guys know Lydia's testimony. She's, she's been a Christian since birth. She grew up as a, as a PK in a pastor's house. And um, of a law, her dad was a pastor of a huge church. And she grew up in church her whole life and walked with Jesus her whole life. She's an amazing Bible teacher and, and super, super super experienced, seasoned in the Lord, and that, you know, that maybe she doesn't experience those types of things, and that you guys go through them, but that we don't, or that she doesn't, or that, you know, and just to say that, that we all go through those things, that, you know, that nobody is excluded from those types of battles and struggles, and that we're all together in this, and, you know, that's why I said, that's why, you know, Lydia mentioned in Numbers chapter 11, that's where Moses has his breakdown moment, and and like I said, we could go through them. I have the note somewhere in my Bible that lists all the characters and all the places where they have their breakdown moment of, you know, it's enough, take my life, and we're going to see Joshua's here in chapter 7, and just that pressing on, Pressing on in the Lord as the message was last week, that no matter what, no matter where, no matter why, I will trust in the Lord and walk with the Lord. And so um, I don't want to leave this one little section undone. And so the first part of five that we covered last week is about this call to be circumcised and their obedience. The thing that made no sense at the time. And then in verse, or sorry, in, yeah, in verse 13 of chapter five, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and, and said to him, are you for us or for our adversary? And he said, no, my mom used to do this to me. I don't know why my mom was famous 
for she she'd she'd I'd ask her a multiple choice question and 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 she would give me some vague answer like this. I'd say, you know, are we going left or going right? And she would say yes. I'd say, no, that's not the question. The question was, should we go up or should we go down? She'd say, right. Yes, sure. And, and, and so Joshua comes to this man with an outdrawn sword and he says, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And the answer he got back was no. And, and, and the reason, as we know here, is we're going to see this is none other than Jesus Christ himself, the, the commander of the Lord's army. This is what we call a Christophany. It's an Old Testament appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament before he was the babe in Bethlehem. As we know, Jesus was and is and always will be. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. And, and he didn't begin existence as a babe in Bethlehem. It's when he took on flesh. And so here we see, and we have this, this type of thing happen multiple times in the Old Testament. Sometimes we call it a Christophany, as we do here, where it's an Old Testament appearance of Jesus himself. Other times a Theophany, where it's an Old Testament appearance of God the Father, um, which, which we have in the Old Testament as well. And so um, he said basically, no, but in verse 14, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And so he says, basically, you have the question wrong. It's not, am I for you or for your adversary? The question is, are you for me? Like, I am the commander of the Lord's army. I am the commander. Whose side are you on? Do you fight with me? Are you for me? And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And so the, the first indication that this is not just a regular angel is that as Joshua falls to his face and begins to worship, the, 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 the being here, which, which we know is Jesus, accepts the worship. Now, that's always an indication that this is not a regular angel. Three times, John, John the, the revelator, Grandpa John, the Apostle John, was a slow learner and, and actually had, had quite the... Uh, the litany of experiences as he wrote the book of Revelation, but three different times as angels appeared to him, John fell down and began to worship them. And three times they told him, get up, don't worship me. I'm just, I'm an angel. You, you know, I'm not, and, and would not receive John's worship. But whenever you see um, in the in the Old Testament, New Testament, the Bible, where they the, this angel, it is often called an angel of the Lord, receives the worship. That's that's one of the first indicators that it's not a regular angel, that this is the Lord himself. And so um, he receives the angel, or I'm sorry, he receives the worship. And, and Joshua asked him this question, what does the Lord say to his servant? The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your feet for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. And so, um, so he has this, this appearance or this meeting with um, the Lord as the Lord appears to him as the commander of the Lord's army. One of the things I like about the description of Jesus here in verse 14 is that he had a sword. I just think it's manly and cool. Jesus just had a big sword and he probably knew what to do with it. And then, and then it brings us to chapter six and that's kind of just the end of that. It doesn't really talk about their discussion or what they, they, you know, they went, but that, that Jesus appears to Joshua in the old Testament. And then we have in, in chapter six, and now Jericho was securely shut up because the children of Israel 
none went out and none came in. And so we have Jericho who knows that Israel's there. We already, we already were told um, in the previous chapter that their hearts left them. Their, heart, their hearts melted within them for fear of the, of the nation of Israel as they encamped outside. And, and they, they were securely shut up. And so part of the, the spiritual battle that the, that the children of Israel are going to face is a, is a big battle. The city is secured and it's shut up and there's nobody going in and nobody coming out. And in verse 2 it says, And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand. And maybe this is a continuation of, of the Lord speaking to Joshua, the commander of the Lord's army. And see, I have, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around this, the city once. This you shall do for six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpets. Then it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout and the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up every man straight before him. So, you know, what's interesting about this particular battle plan is this is after the law of Moses was given and, and the plan that, that God laid out for the, the, the walls of Jericho, it broke Sabbath law on so many different levels. I'm not exactly sure um, what the reason is. I could, I could guess, uh, you know, that, the, the, that God's plan and that God's, you know, just like in the New Testament, that the, the law wasn't for, you know, the people. The people were, were for the law. I mean, the God didn't create Sabbath for the people. He created or the other way around, he didn't create the people for Sabbath. He created Sabbath for the people, a blessing for the people, and that that God's love and his and his, that it supersedes the law is like when David went in and he ate the showbread, which was forbidden for anybody but the priest to eat. And then Jesus in the New Testament quotes that, and he tells the Pharisees that that it was okay, right? Because David had need and he was hungry, and he ate the showbread. And common sense trumps the the law. And so here we have just kind of flies in the face of, of the legalism and the, and the laws because the Lord shows up. And, and the first thing is, you notice they're going to march for six days once, and on the seventh day, they're going to march seven times. Well, you're supposed to do no work on the Sabbath and all seven days of the week. So I don't care where you put the Sabbath in the week, they're doing work, they're marching. The other thing is that according to the law of Moses, the priests were forbidden from going to, they were exempt actually from going to war. And here the priests are going to lead out in war. And then the other thing is they're blowing the shofars here. And it was a different type of trumpet according to the law of Moses that they would bring into battle. And then the ark of the Lord was to lead out and that was never to happen. The ark was not supposed to go into battle. And so we have so many, we have three or more things at least contrary to the law of Moses and these commandments that the Lord gives to Joshua. And so... And then in verse six, it says, and Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them. Now, just I want you to picture chapter uh, verse six here for a minute. So, you know, you ever hear somebody say, when I get to heaven, I want to get this DVD and pop it in the player and take a look at what this scene looked like. Well, you know, there's lots of things we'll want to see, right? Don't you guys want to see like the battle of David and Goliath and, you know, actually be there and see some of this stuff? You know, David holding his head up, the blood dripping down. Like, I'm just kidding. That's what a part I want to see. You guys don't want to see that part. But 
Joshua now has to go to the men. And, and can you imagine now, now Joshua is um, a man's man. And Joshua is a man of war and Joshua is a soldier and he's brave and, and he's well respected. And, and he, I mean, he has those type of men around him. And Joshua comes to the men and he says something to them like the Lord, the commander of the Lord's army showed up. And I'm sure Joshua couldn't resist. Right. But say, man, he had a sword. You should have seen it and starts describing the sword and the way that it looked and the way the Lord looked. And and maybe he was arrayed in his armor and the men are just pumped. You know, the Lord showed up holding a sword and he gave you the instructions of how we're going to conquer Jericho. And then Joshua says, yeah, check it out. I got a plan from the commander of the Lord's army. We're going to get the priests and they're going to carry the ark. And then we're going to get the worship team. And we're going to, we're going to march around the city on the first day and say nothing. And then on the second day, we're going to march around the city and say nothing. And the worship team's going to lead out and the priests are going to carry the ark. And, and then on the seventh day, we're going to march around seven times and everyone's just going to yell real loud. These guys are probably going, oh my gosh, we're all going to die. What are you talking about? They're checking his head for lumps. Like, did so, Did you bump your head? What is wrong with you? What kind of battle plan is this? And Joshua has to go and deliver this, this battle plan. And, and like, I, like we talked about, like we really spent the whole entire message last week going over was that, you know, God told him right before this, uh, a, a command that made no sense. That, that on the edge of this, this huge battle, their first battle, by the way, that they should stop and all the men should be circumcised, which would have left them post-surgery sore and weak for about three days and very vulnerable and made absolutely no sense militarily or, or common sense. It made no sense at all for them to stop there in that place. Why didn't God have, it, have them do it on the other side of the Jordan before they crossed where it was safe? And, and now the backed up to another command that God gives that, that doesn't seem to make any sense or any common sense. And again, part of the lesson is, right, that, that God does work that in your life and in my life. The, the issue is not what God calls you to do. The issue is your obedience to that call. And that when God speaks to you, that you obey, that you do what it is that God calls you and don't think you know better and don't be too embarrassed and don't be too shy. And, and I'm sure Joshua, again, like I said, had to go to these men and, and sell this plan to them. But it probably helped that, that they just had done something that didn't make a lot of sense other than it was just being obedient. You know, the specific action is irrelevant. It, it's, it's not the action. It's the source of the instruction. Amen. And, and when, this, when it's God that tells us to do it, we do it, you know. And so we just do it. And then in verse 7, it says, and, and he said to the people, proceed and march around the city and let him who is armed advance before the ark of the Lord. And so it was when, when Joshua had spoken to the people that seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard came after the ark while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And now Joshua had commanded the people saying, you shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, shout, and then you shall shout. And so they had, they had the, so he had the ark of the Lord circle the city going around it once. Then they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. 
And Joshua rose early in the morning and the priest took up the ark of the Lord. Whenever you see that early in the morning, Joshua rose early in the morning. What does that speak of? It speaks of obedience. It speaks of instant obedience. It's a biblical term. Rose early in the morning. And then in verse 13, it says, Then seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets and the armed men went before them and the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did six days. But it came to pass on the seventh day they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. And on that day, only they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened when the priests blew the trumpet that Joshua said to the people, shout for the Lord has given you the city. Why do you think God had to march around the city seven times? Was it was it like a Harry Potter potion that would make the wall fall down? Could God have knocked the wall down after one time around the city? Could God have knocked the wall around after two times around the city? Could God have knocked the wall down after three trips around the city? So, so God says seven times around the city. And oftentimes, again, you guys, the things that God calls us to do in the scripture are not about him or his ability or, or him. It's something that he's doing for you and in you. And, and so God is doing something in the children of Israel that requires obedience. And it required, can you imagine if they, if they did it and then on the sixth time they said, man, this ain't working. God, this is stupid. This is crazy. This is just not working. We've marched around that city six times. We marched around it once every day for six days. And now six times. I had enough. I'm going home. Maybe there were some that did that. Maybe there were some that got tired after the second or third or fourth time. How long was the march around the city? I don't know. Probably enough to get them a little tired seven times around the city. But, but, but anyways, they, they, they had to continue to march and continue to be obedient because the source, because God told them and in their obedience. And when they stuck around long enough and they were obedient long enough, the walls came down as they shouted. And so, um, and the, and now the city shall be doomed by the, by the Lord to destruction in verse 17. It, it and all who are in it, only Rahab the harlot shall live. She and all who are with her in the house because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you by all means abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. Now listen, I want you to take note of this. We're going to come back to this. And so talk about the accursed things. So there's things that the Lord calls accursed in verse 18. And he says for them to abstain. And then he says, listen, but all the silver and gold vessels of bronze and iron are verse 19, super important right there, consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. And so I want you to, to again, make note of that, that in the battle of Jericho, the Lord said, stay away from the accursed things or the things and, and the other things, the silver and bronze, they're all to come back into the house of the Lord. And so God required that in this battle. In verse 20, it says, so the people shouted, they yelled, they yelled loud. The Lord likes loud. Everybody thinks the Lord has something against loud. He doesn't. You know, they yell loud here. They, they do things loud in the Bible. Everything's loud. They, the Bible tells us in Psalm 150 to play the symbol. But you know what's cool? God gives us an adjective before the word symbol. Anybody know what it is? 
loud. Play the loud symbol, you know. And so God has got no, no problem with loud. He wants the people to yell loud. So the people shouted when the priest blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. And all the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up to the city, every man straight before him. And they took the city. And so the, the archaeological evidence of Jericho is 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 all there. It's preserved to this day. As I said, if you go um, with us to Israel, you will get to see Rahab's house that's still preserved and, and, and the archaeological studies of the walls as they did exactly as um, the word of God says, as they fell out. And, you know, some of it over the years has, has been lost and missing, but there's enough evidence there in the excavations of Jericho that you can still see the walls of Jericho, the original walls of Jericho that would have fell out, except for the one place in the wall where Rahab's house was, is still there. And so um, sometimes, sometimes when we go to Israel, I'm not sure this coming trip, if we will or not, um, but sometimes we go to Jericho, sometimes we don't. Jericho today is um, Muslim occupied and, and controlled by, by the Muslims, and so they don't like Jews in Jericho. They have signs on the outside of the, of the, of the city of Jericho that basically forbids Jews to enter it. And so sometimes we, we're able to go in and sometimes we're not. So, but you'll get to see it, and it's all there. 21. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep, donkey with the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brother, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. And so, you know, as we know, you guys, she, she, had, she had that scarlet thread that came out the window. Now, was it necessary for her to put the scarlet thread out the window of her house for them to identify her? The scarlet thread always reminds us of what, whenever you think of that red scarlet thread, it's obviously a reminder of Jesus and the Jesus's blood. And, the, and, and yet I think they could have said, um, just go to the one part of the wall that didn't fall down. There's probably one house that's still remaining in all the city. And in there, you'll find a woman. She didn't necessarily need to, but the symbolism that represents the blood of Jesus and that, you know, Jesus paid the price. And um, so she puts the scarlet thread out, even though it wasn't necessary. And it says in verse 24, but they burned the city and all that was in it with fire, only silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she, so she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messenger whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. You know, we talked about, I, I've got to tell this story because I just think it's a really cool story, but I think I told it recently. But, you know, um, if, if you haven't noticed, I'm going very quickly through Joshua chapter 6, which is a, a very powerful chapter. It's, it's all the things that your Sunday school classes were made up, right? The walls of Jericho going down. And, but we've covered, in the last year, we've co I've covered this chapter twice. When I did a Sunday morning pullout, especially for this chapter 6 and 7. And then we had another um, guest pastor, and he taught out of Joshua was chapter six and seven coincidentally. So we've covered this a lot. So I really want to get into something in seven. That's why I'm kind of trying to jam to get to seven. But um, 
the, the, the whole thing with, with Rahab is such a cool story. It's such a cool Bible story that, that this woman who was a harlot, who was an easy rider. I mean, she wasn't, you know, some try to make harlot into being a, a, a maiden or something innocent, you know, that it's not. She was, she was a prostitute and, and everything that went with that. And, um, and she eventually becomes the great grandmother of King David. So she, she gets her life right. She repents. She gets married. She has kids and her kids have kids. And, and, and she's one of four women that are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. And so, so Jesus chose this woman in this story in Joshua 6 to be his great, 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 I'll spare you a lot more great grandmothers. And that in the very line of, of Messiah, you find this woman, um, Rahab, who God, who God redeemed and God used. And, you know, it's a reminder for us, regardless of somebody's past, that, that God redeems. And when God redeems, you are redeemed. They are redeemed. There was a pastor and uh, he was a pastor of a of a uh, a larger church, and there was a woman um, that had begun to come to their church, and she was I'll try to be careful, she, but but tell the truth, she was she was a uh, a porn star before she started coming to church and got to know Jesus, and the uh, pastor's son ended up falling in love with her, and the church was so up in arms about it, and they. They, they were really upset and didn't want um, this to happen. They thought it was wrong and that just wasn't right. And, you know, and they were very vocal about it. And so the pastor's son came up in front of the church and he addressed the church about the issue. And he said that, he said, I'm not here to, to talk about my marriage and my, and my fiance because I'm getting married and there's nothing to talk about. And he said, but, you know, I, I wanted to tell you something that my, my wife's, my fiance's past is not what's on trial in your hearts. What's on trial in your heart is the grace of God and the mercy of God and the forgiving ability and, and power of God to, to change lives. And, 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 you know, real convicting and real true that, that it's, it's, it's God's power. And God gives us stories like Rahab to remind us. And Jesus made sure, hey, that's my grandma. Be careful what you say about her in her past and that God could still redeem her and use her. Amen. All right, we got to move on because that's not what we're trying to get to today and we're running out of time. You know, if I don't make it, I'm just going to blame it on the long-winded preacher over there, right? Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Um, in verse 26, and then Joshua charged them at the time saying, cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn and with his youngest, he shall set up its gates. And so the Lord was with Joshua and and his fame spread throughout all the country. And so that, that verse actually came to, true, came to pass in, in history um, about them trying to rebuild the wall of Jericho, rebuild Jericho. And then in chapter 7, we have um, the big but that starts chapter 7. But. Why has there always got to be a but in the way? You know? There's always got to be a but in there. You know, in the New Testament, we, we have um, this word but followed by God, and it's a good thing, but God, who rich in mercy. And then when you see that but God in the New Testament, it's like everything's all messed up in your life, but God shows up and, 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 and does something miraculous for you. But here, you know, when it's not followed by God, but God, it's followed by the children of Israel, there's a problem. And we have this, this big but that's, that's in the beginning of, 
of chapter 7. And so they just came off of this amazing victory. One of the things that God told Joshua and reminded Joshua and not only told him and instilled in him and reminded him and told him over and over again, as we've already studied. But then I think as the angel of the Lord showed up and encouraged Joshua one last time before Jericho in this amazing battle, he told Joshua, be strong and have good, good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed for the Lord. Your God is with you is the message is the is the message of Joshua, Joshua one, eight and nine. Be strong and of good courage. When you hear that, you know that was God's word to Joshua. And it's God's word to you. And it's God's word to me. Be strong and of good courage. And so here we have a, we have a man, Joshua, again, who's a man's man. He's a warrior. He's, he's experienced. He lived through all of the miracles of um, leaving Egypt and, and the Red Sea and the manna and the 40 years. And he's seen them all. And, and he was one of the two of the 12 spies who came back with a good report. Speaking of Joshua and Caleb, the two that came back with a good report, there was how many spies that went out? How many? Twelve. And the two that came back with a good report, what were their names? Okay, somebody named one of the other ten. Not one of you knows one of the names of the other ten? Why not? The Bible does tell us. It's right there in the story, all twelve names. That's right, baby. Nobody remembers them suckers. People only remember the two that came back with a good report, the two that do the, you know, that do the Lord's work, the two that have that courage and strength. All 12 names are there. You know, I I had actually a pastor do that in a group of all pastors and he challenged all the pastors in the room. He said, don't open your Bibles. He said, 12 spies. He said, name three of them, Joshua, Caleb, and uh, 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 nobody could do it. Not one, not one. And all pastors, you know, know the word, study the word. Not one of them could name one of the 12 of the other 10. And so Joshua is one of the, these two, and he's a man of victory, and he's a man of, of war, and he's a man of presence, and he's a man of calling, and, and, and a man of accomplishment. And, and Joshua is that guy, you know, and he's in a good place in life, and he's just come through a lot of victory and a lot of good stuff. I mean, it wasn't long ago, right? where Joshua watched the, 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 the Jordan River at floodwater stages and watched the priests set their foot in carrying the Ark of the Covenant and all of a sudden the waters stop and this part keeps going and nothing comes down and they walk across on dry land. I mean, it was miracle after miracle after miracle. You think that Joshua would have got it by now, right? And let's see what happens to him in this chapter. And it says, But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, and took the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord was burned against the children of Israel. And now Joshua sent men of Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. And so the men went up and spied out Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. No big deal. Ai, the word Ai, is, it, it means dump. It was just a dump. It was just a trash heap. And it wasn't much to it. Spice came back and said, yeah, no, no problem. Don't even send the army. Just send you uh, two or 3,000 men to go up and, and, and handle this little business. Now, the, the first thing that you'll notice, and it's one of the things we want to notice in, in a lot of these stories, is that there's no mention of Joshua praying. There's no mention of Joshua asking the wisdom of the Lord before this decision. And our lives go this way. He, he just has come off a great victory. He just assumes 
that he's going to go and have another victory. And all it would have taken was, was a pause in his life to, to ask God before he proceeded, even in something that should have just been a no-brainer. And, and because he thought it was a no-brainer and it didn't need a lot of prayer and a lot of thought, he just acted. And it's going to turn out to be a huge mistake in his life. We'll see the same thing um, repeated in King David's life. No recorded um, mention of him praying or asking God for wisdom and, and, and failure. And then every time he asked God for wisdom, should we go up or should we not go up? It was usually the, the prayer of David against the Philistines. And, Dave, and the Lord would say, yes, go up against this Philistines. I've delivered them into your hands. And then whenever you don't see that mention of prayer, that mention of pause in, in, in our lives to seek God's wisdom over decisions, we have this defeat. And there's no mention here of Joshua pausing. No mention of him just saying a simple prayer and asking God for wisdom. He just makes a decision. Ah, it makes sense. And he said, do not weary the people. Three there for the people of Ai are few. So about 3,000. So he said two or three. Well, they chose three. Just to be safe, we'll send three. 3,000 men went up to from there to the people, but they fled before the men of Ai and the men of Ai struck about 36 men for they chased them from before the gate. As far as Sherebim, they struck them down on the descent. Therefore, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Now, listen, um, the, the hearts of the men that are melting here is not the, the, the people of Jericho, as it was in the last chapter, now it's the men of Israel and how quickly the, the hearts of their enemies were melting back to the point where the hearts of the nation of Israel are melted. And, and so it made no sense. They went up against this battle and they're getting their 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 hineys kicked and um, and 36 men died and they're running and they come back to Joshua and their hearts are melted and become like water. And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth. He didn't go to like the tuck shop and rent some, some new clothes. He tore his clothes. He ripped his clothes and he fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, he and the elders of Israel and they put dust on their heads. And so you'll see this as an old Testament practice where they literally rent their clothes. They literally would rip their clothes. They would put dust on their heads. They would, sometimes it says they would sit in sackcloth and ashes was the term for, for really repenting and really digging in and seeking the Lord. And so Joshua here with this heart, he rips his clothes. He puts literally puts ashes is not figurative. This is literal. The sackcloth would be very itchy and uncomfortable. And so they would put that on and cover themselves in ashes, which would also create a huge amount of discomfort and, and nothing that would please the flesh as they were trying to seek God in the spirit and repent and, and show an outward sign of their, of their repentance and their brokenness. And Joshua said in verse seven, alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over this Jordan to all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorite, to destroy us, that we had been content to dwell on the other side of the Jordan? Are you serious, Joshua? Are you serious? Are you really going to say this right now? Are you really going to go there? Like one defeat, the first one in your life, the first one in this story, and already you sound like the children of Israel uh, in the book of Exodus. Why did you, Moses, why did you take us out of Exodus? Were there not enough graves in Egypt? Like, we want to go back. He's like, why did you bring us on this side of the Jordan? Like, immediately. Now, now I'm be careful, right? Because what what the point that I, I tried to make in the beginning and having my wife share is that, and, and the point I made of making Joshua such a big character was to say that that's the reality of, of life, you guys. And, and, and the lesson and the reason why God puts this in there is to show you, is to show me 
Because we read it and we go, you dummy. Dude, just go back and read a couple chapters back. Read a couple chapters forward. God's not going anywhere. You're going to be fine. It's cool. How come you can't see that, Joshua? And God lets us kind of from 2020 vision, right? Look in in Joshua's life and want to slap him. When really we just need to slap ourselves because it's it's us and, and we're no different. And God shows up in your life over and over and over again. And then you go through a valley and you go through a a, a hard time. You go through a struggle and immediately you text your wife and ask her if she wants to move to Montana and get a job at Circle K and just be done with it. You know, I mean, like it's just it's just the way that human nature is. And but listen, to know these things, to have these things, to have these lessons needs to go towards you know, your faith. And that's why the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. As you see these things, like you want to tell Joshua, listen, Joshua, it's going to be okay. God's going to be there like he's been there before. But in the moment, I mean, Joshua has a complete meltdown right here. Like his whole life melts down. Like he's really asking God, why did you bring us over this side of the Jordan? We should have stayed over there where it was safe. And he's freaking out. Calm down, dude. It's going to be all right. And then in verse 8, he says, Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the, for the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off your name from the earth. <laughs> He's really freaking out. Then what will you do for your great name, Lord? Lord, what's going to happen? The Canaanites are going to hear it and they're going to come and everything. Woe is me. Woe is me. And all this bad stuff's going to happen. And I'm going to lose my job. and never going to be able to pay my bills. And no one's ever going to talk to me again. And I, what am I going to do then? You know, like just on and on. And we, we, we extrapolate. We add all these worries and this make up all these things that, that are never going to come to pass in every situation. And, you know, and God, I don't know. Does he laugh at us? Does he just, you know, enjoy us for a minute before, you know, as we're just, just being silly and, and then when we calm down and, and verse 10, look at, look at this. There's, there's a couple of places in the Bible. I got to know it in my Bible it says stop praying. Like it's kind of strange for God to tell someone to stop praying. Like doesn't the whole, doesn't the whole New Testament, didn't Paul tell us pray without ceasing? Pray always. And, and here's a place where the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie to us on your face? Get up. Stop praying. You know, you know, you know the wisdom you guys sometimes and sometimes I know it's me that needs to be told this, but sometimes I just want to tell folks, get up, <laughs> shut up, get up, arise, quit whining, go for it. You're dumb. Lord loves you and I'm dumb too. I get it, but you're being dumb right now. Get up and stop, stop this. God's got this. Calm down. It's okay. Get up. Keep moving. Move on. Arise. Get out of your self-pity and move on. And he says to, he says to Joshua, verse 10, get up. What was his voice like? You know, when, um, it's probably like that. I think it probably was. Get up. You know, when, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and God showed up and God said to Adam, Adam, where art thou? What did that sound like? Was it inquisitive? Was it commanding? Adam, where are you? <laughs> yeah, get over here right now. What did you do? Is that what he said? Was the heart of a broken, broken heart of a father? 
are you? Adam, what did you do? I'm sure it wasn't the first, that's for sure. Adam, where are you? And here are the Lord's voice. But this one, the, the Adam one was definitely sincere, and it was love, and it was mercy. And as God called out to Adam, he said, Adam, where are you? But here, this one's different. I think the Lord had a little different attitude this day. He was like, get up. Get up, dummy. Like, what are you doing? Get up. All right, verse 11. Israel has sinned, and they have also trespassed my my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have taken, even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen. Hey, in verse number 11, God calls them what things? Accursed. Underline it. Accursed things, and they have done what? Stolen. You can underline that. And next one, deceived. And they have also put it among their own stuff. So listen, this is the only time in the book of Joshua and all of their conquests, and I forget the number, 30-something, 40-something battles that Joshua and the the nation of Israel are going to fight and win. And this is the only defeat. And listen, listen, so important to get this. This defeat did not come from the outside. It came from within. And and I really, really believe that to be true about our church. I believe that to be true about my life personally. I believe that to be true about your life personally. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And, and, and when there's defeat in your life, in my life, and when the, the, the defeat is coming from the outside and the battle's coming from the outside, because the battle was from the outside, but the defeat didn't come from the outside. The defeat came from within. The issue was there was sin in the camp. There was sin in the lives of the men of Israel. And, and for that, God removed his blessing because of the sin until the sin was dealt with. And in your life and in my life, there's areas of sin that are going to keep God's blessing from your life. That's just true. It doesn't change God's love, God's mercy, God's working in your life. But, but the sin in your life will affect God's ability to bless your life. It will remove God's hand of blessing over areas of your life that he wants to bless until you deal with the sin. I'm going to ask us tonight to, to seek the Lord together. And I want you to confess sin tonight because it's where we are in the scripture. I'm not asking you to confess it to me or anybody else, but I, I just want to encourage you in the Lord. And I had to do this myself and um, God, God spoke to me about something and, um, you know, I had to get it right. And, and, and it was just time. It was time to get it right. And, um, you know, and the same challenge that, that if there's something in your life, listen, if there's sin in the camp, we're not going to move forward. And, 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 and it's time to, to deal with it. It's time to get it right. Now, listen, the sin in the camp of this guy, it's not just going to affect him. It's going to affect everybody. It's already affected 36 innocent soldiers whose lives were already lost as they went into this battle and God's hand of protection and blessing wasn't there and they lost this fight. And when there's sin in the camp, we don't move forward. When there's sin in, the, in our church and as a ministry, we want to move forward and we want to go out and we want to reach Tooele County. We want to see lives changed. We want to see marriage sealed. We want to see sick people get well. We want to see lost people get saved. We, we want to see sinners get right. And, and, and we want God to move among us and we want God to make a lighthouse out of our church and to shine. And, and God, believe me, he wants all of those things. And if those things are not happening, it's not us waiting on God to show up and do those things. It's God waiting on us to get rid of the sin in our camp. 
for God waiting on us to get our lives right and our hearts right and us stop being lukewarm Christians and start going and being and setting this world on fire by being on fire ourselves for Jesus Christ. And God can't use you and use me if we're lukewarm to, to, for someone else to catch someone else on fire. And, and fire's not caught from lukewarm. You have to be on fire yourself and we have to be on fire ourselves. And in order to be on fire, we have to deal with sin in the camp. And it's a real issue and it's an issue we can't ignore. It's an issue that we can't um, wait till tomorrow. And especially on a night like tonight when God is calling us through his word to deal with sin in the camp. And if there's sin in your camp, I'm encouraging you tonight, get it right with the Lord. Confess it. Go get it. Go to your house and get rid of it. If it's something that's in your house that needs to be gotten rid of. There's something in your life that needs to be gotten rid of. If it's your computer that needs to be smashed on the street today. If it's your whatever it is in your life, in your house. If it's something in your heart that needs to be getting rid of. If it's, if it's unforgiveness, if it's bitterness that needs to be confessed. If, if there's something in your life, get it right with the Lord. And there's sin in the camp. And we're not going to move forward until we get rid of that sin that's in our camp. And so that this is what's happening. There's sin. And God says, listen, there's sin. And, and, and you guys have stolen the things. Now, remember, I asked you to highlight verse 19 of chapter 6. Because God said that the, that the cursed things get rid of. And he said the silver and the gold vessels, they're, they're to be consecrated to the Lord in this battle. And so, therefore, the children of Israel, in verse 12, could not stand before their enemies, but turn their backs before their enemies because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed thing from you. And so God is, is saying through his word to us tonight that, and I don't think God's promising that he's not, he's going to remove his presence from us or any of those things. God, Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But, but there is an absolute, you know, God, God's word does say, I will not strive with my people forever. And there comes a point where, where, where God does turn us over. In Romans chapter 1, he turned the folks over to a reprobate mind. And, and there does come a point in our sin where, where God turns us over, when God allows us to, 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 to reap the consequences of that sin. And there's mercy and grace. For 400 years, God poured out his mercy and his grace upon the Canaanites before the nation of Israel crossed the Jordan and eventually killed them. 400 years, God called them to repent. And, and God is very gracious. And sometimes we, we take God's graciousness in our lives and, in, and over our sins as, as a weakness or a slackness concerning God's care for our sin or, or God's concern for our sin. God does care and God is concerned and God does want us to get it right. But he's merciful and he's gracious. But there comes a point where it's time to get it right and God calls us. For me, I... Um, you know, I was just seeking the Lord and I, I challenged the men on Sunday night at men's group to um, pray. And we have a reading assignment every week and we're reading the gospel of Matthew this week and um, in its entirety in this week. And I, I asked the men, I said, on top of that, I want you to pray and I want you to ask God to bring you to a place in the scriptures um, and just trust that God can speak to you. And, and it'd be anywhere from Genesis to Revelation. And, and he wants to say something to you. And so ask him and then go to the word and read it and, and what it is. And, and so I did it. I took the challenge, obviously, that I gave them in. And, and I ended up in the Old Testament. It's always scary getting to the Old Testament. I'm like, really, God, Second Kings? It's going to be scary. It's got to be something terrible in here that you want to say to me. And, 
You know, I don't know how terrible it was, but sure enough, it was something that was very convicting. It was something that um, God was calling me to get right. And I mean, it, it was almost like, it was almost like my dad was there speaking English, like to me, telling me exactly what it was right off the page. Exactly what it was right off the page. And I had to deal with it. And, and, and it was like, you know, and, and so maybe that's what you need to do. Get alone with the Lord. And, and, and oftentimes it's already something we know. Have your Bible. And trust and, and pray. And before you open it, just to say, God, as I open it, help me find. And maybe God puts it on your heart and your mind. I don't know why, but I feel like Matthew. And you get to Matthew and you kind of start messing around and you find a place. And, and the Holy Spirit is very capable of leading you where he wants you to. And finding the place in the scripture that he wants you to read. But, but, but you go there and you, you, you deal with whatever it is. Verse 13. Somebody. Verse 13. What's it say? Get up. Sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourself for tomorrow, for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst. O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies. And in the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes. Hey, look at verse number 18. Then he brought his household man by man and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah was taken. And Joshua said to Achan, my son, I beg you. Give glory to the Lord of Israel and make confession to him and tell me now, what have you done? Do not hide it from me. And so, again, I think Joshua's heart there, you guys, is um, probably in love there. Joshua's voice, the intonation of his voice as he's talking to Achan. Um, I can just tell you now, Achan's not going to make it out of this. Achan's going to die. Um, I, I think that some people might assume because the Lord's going to kill Achan here that Achan went to hell. And I don't think that's the case at all. I don't think that Achan went to hell. I don't think that um, Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5 necessarily just get a sentence to hell. They, they were Christians who loved God, who sinned, and were, were judged immediately for it. And, and, you know, I don't know that it's a salvation issue with Achan or, you know, with Judas Iscariot, that, that was a salvation issue. He's, he's in hell. I was clear about that. But with, with some of these others, maybe, you know, I would not be surprised to see Achan, this, this gentleman right here, who was in the Lord's army, who, who sinned as Adam and Eve did in the garden and um, got judged for it immediately in heaven. So again, I just don't think it's, a, it's an issue. But so this guy Achan and, um, is, is called out and, and through a process that I just skipped over reading, the Lord singled him out and Joshua said, what have you done? Now listen to Achan's response. And Achan answered Joshua and said, indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel and this is what I have done. Now, I, I like he, he starts out well. He starts out well with a confession of his sin that he sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And in your life and in my life, understand that, that the sins that happen, they're sins against God. And that when you sin against God, you confess and you, you ask God to forgive you and you get them right. And, and so Achan um, says, I've sinned against Israel. And he says, when I saw the spoils uh, a beautiful Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of silver. I coveted and I took them and I hid them. So in my Bible, I have, I saw, I coveted, I took and I hid under law. But more importantly, really quickly in verse 21, or just as importantly, he says, when I saw among the spoils, those weren't spoils. What did, what did God call them? Well, the, the, the silver was consecrated, but the other things um, in verse number 18 of chapter 6, he called, God called him what? Accursed. He said, the accursed things and make camp of Israel a curse and a trouble. And we take the things that, that God called accursed and he calls them spoils. And we have these terms to try to make everything, um, you know, so, sound well. Oh, I'm having an affair. 
like it's some kind of like, oh, you're not? You're a fornicator. You know? I mean, on and on and on of all these things that we we use to to try to, you know, pretty things up and, you know, not call them what they are. And so, you know, he tries to say, oh, the spoils. And they weren't spoils. The Lord called them the accursed things. And they were accursed. And then, and then the same kind of um, progression that you see with Adam and Eve in the garden. He said, I saw and I, and I coveted and I took and I hid or the, is the progression. And so, you know, it always starts with the lust of the eyes. And, you know, so many times for us, right, you guys, like we, we see something and then all of a sudden we start really wanting it. And then we covet it. It's like we get these catalogs. How many of you guys get a bunch of catalogs that come to your house every day in the mail? Get rid of that junk. That'll just get you in trouble, right? Like I'm fine until I see the Cabela's or the, or the tennis shoes, the, the, what's the tennis shoe magazine called? The East Bay magazine catalog comes to my house and I start flipping through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's smart. She gets rid of that one. I start looking through some of them, some of them Jordans. And next thing you know, I got a new pair of J's on, but, um, if I don't see them, I'm fine. I'm fine. But you get in trouble when you covet. And so, or when you see him, it starts there. And he saw the spoils and he, he coveted and he took and he hid. And Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. And there it was, hid in his tent with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel and laid them before the Lord. And Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, and the wedge of gold, his sons and his daughters and his ox and his donkey, his sheep, his tent, even his tent, man. And all that he had, and they brought them to the valley of Acre. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire. And they had stoned him with stones, and they raised over him a great heap of stones. And still there to this day, so the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Trouble, or Achor, to this day. Um, same word there, Achor, is the time of Jacob's trouble. That word trouble in Achor is the same Hebrew word. It's a place of trouble. Now, now the, the 32nd lesson, you guys, for Achor. A couple things here. Um, God told him in the, in, the, in the story of Jericho that they were not to keep any of the spoils, that all the spoils were to go to the Lord. Now, now what's a dummy, Achan, is from chapter 8 all the way through the book of Joshua. They're getting ready, like I said. I don't know where I have it written down somewhere. Um, 40 battles, 36 battles, forget what the number is, but they're going to go on and they're going to conquer all the land of, of Canaan, uh, modern day Israel as they go through and they have this battle plan to cut a swath through the middle and then start in the South and then march back up through the North as they take all these battles. This was the only defeat in all of the book of Joshua as they go through and they have these battles. And in every single town and place and battle they come to from this place forward, God says, you guys keep all the spoils. Keep them all. Make them, you know, they got rich. And God allowed them to keep everything from this point forward. That dummy for an Armani suit and a gold chain and a nice watch that he stole from the camp. Now, just unpack this for this guy, Aiken. Like the, these things were, first of all, the Armani suit, the, the Babylonian garment that he stole was an accursed thing that God called it. And, and then the gold and all that. And, and how did Aiken get the stuff out anyways? Like, what did he do? Did he go into the place as they're battling and 
come out like, like, you know, when you steal something, his friends are like, what's wrong? Oh, I took one in the stomach. I'll be all right, dude. Let me just go over here. You know, and he stashes the stuff. Like, first of all, he had to like sneak and hide the stuff. And then guess what? The next day when the, the, the dust settled and the victory was over and everybody was celebrating, how, how's Aiken going to look, come walking through town in his new Armani suit with his gold chain on and his new Rolex? Where'd you get that? Oh, I had this, this whole thing. I had this forever. You sure you didn't steal that yesterday in the, in the battle of Jericho? Oh, no, I had this forever. Like he couldn't even wear this stuff. He couldn't even enjoy it. Couldn't use the chain. It was hidden in dirt under his tent. And listen, God didn't say no. God said not now. You know what God says about sex outside of marriage? Never. But you know what God says about sex? Sometimes. He doesn't say never. I tell my kids this. God doesn't say never. He says not now. It's not a bad thing. So when you get married, make up for all the years you lost. Do it like rabbits for like six months straight, like most new couple, newlywed couples do. The things of the spoils, God didn't tell him he couldn't have those things, the Armani suit and those things. He just said, not now. And, and a simple act of obedience of, of taking the spoils that God intended to go into the house of the Lord in the first battle, not knowing that the rest of the way through, they got to keep everything. And obedience is the same way. Just simple obedience. You think you're missing out on, a, on something nice. But in the long run, God's got something way better for you. So deal with the sin in the camp. Trust the Lord for the long haul. And if God says no, oftentimes he's not really saying no forever. He's just saying not now. I don't know what it is in our lives. Something that God said no, just trust him. God tells you to stand on your head till your ears turn red. Stand on your head till your ears turn red. And then don't go see Cal because he don't have no more cars. He's done. But if God tells you to walk around the city seven times and blow the trumpet, then walk around the city seven times and blow the trumpet. Amen? Let's stand. Hey, I want you to get the sin in your camp right. Okay? As I pray, you're going to do that. And you've got an assignment right now. You've got an assignment when you get home. You have an assignment this week and God is calling you through his word. You weren't here tonight by accident and for no reason that we happen to be dealing with sin in the camp chapter. Okay, if there's sin in your camp, get it right. God's calling you to get it right. God's encouraging you to get it right. And listen, don't be like Achan. Achan missed out on on some some huge blessings. And and don't be grumpy and think, oh, God doesn't want me to have it because he doesn't love me. No, listen. God's got blessing for you. And all the battles to come, God says you can keep it all. And if you'll just trust him, he, he'll, fill your, he'll fill your life with, his, with the booty and the spoils and the, um, the things of war that God has for you. But if in this one he says not now, then it's not now. And trust him in that. Amen? Father, we thank you. We praise you, Lord. We lift your name on high, God. Lord, help us to get the sin in our lives right, God. Help us, Lord, to repent and confess, God. And Lord, today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. And Lord, if we've been putting something off, Lord, I pray that we would get it right. And I pray, Father, for your will to be done in each one of our lives. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen.